Well, hi again, everyone. I'm Mark Renee. Thank you for joining us for Volume 1, Episode 2 of Play by Play with me. It's a little play on words. I am the me in Play by Play with me. And uh, we're going to have a little fun, hopefully. And uh, hopefully with our guest who has stopped by to play by play with me, one of my all-time heroes. And every time I butter him up, I know uh, the bells ring and another angel gets his wings. Um, my good friend, the uh, inimitable Spencer Ross, who has done play-by-play -play for more teams in New York City, I think, sir, than anyone in the history of the planet, the only professional team of the big sports, if memory serves, that you've never called um, is the Mets. But you've done everything else. Spencer Ross, thank you for joining me. Uh, hey, listen, before we start, I have to tell the people, okay? Getting this started was a tribute to your tenacity, <laughs> your ability to figure things out. And uh, it took about 20 minutes. There were probably a problem on my side, but your patience was, was unbelievable. I finally had to stop telling you, I had to start telling you to, to stop telling me, hold on a second. Because honestly, I ain't going anywhere, Mark. Nobody's going anywhere. I'm yeah. sitting at home. I'm, I'm very comfortable and uh, I'm scared, but I'm fortunate. Uh, I have a very lovely wife, my wife, Pat, uh, and we're hanging out together. We're going to play a board game later this afternoon. Yesterday, we spent three hours looking through a, an art book uh, of the uh, inimitable Hieronymus Bosch uh, that we've had for like a year and a half. And it was like a trip to the museum. Three hours of, of examining every one, not every one, because it's a 400-page book, and we only got through 125 pages. It was, it was a trip to the museum. You know, you got, you got to find different ways to do things and keep yourself busy. And uh, I read a lot. Uh, I, uh, we watch certain TV shows uh, like, uh, let's see, well, what did we watch last night? We watched The Homeland and we watched, uh, what's that show about that takes place in Scotland uh, and then in America? It's a wonder, wonderful show. Anyway, uh, Jamie and uh, anyway, that, that doesn't matter, but we, you, you find, you know, you find different ways. I mean, Larry David's season's done, Shit's Creek's over, so we, we play games. We play games, we hang out, uh, we have, have a lot of food in the house, we have a lot of supplies, we don't order and take out food, the only takeout we do is from our refrigerator and from our freezer, and, uh, we have a delivery service that brings us food, and, uh, We've got all the cleanliness things, the ways of uh, making sure, you know, like doing the paper paper bags and the plastic bags are disposed of. Uh, unfortunately, we have a lot of Clorox in the house, and uh, it's a very it's a very scary time. It's something that you know, I don't think we could have imagined. I, I don't think we could imagine this happening. I mean, uh, and you have to really wonder how the world recovered from 1918 where, where at least 50 million people died 50 million people died they had no vaccine and for the flu and they're working on a vaccine now for this and hopefully uh 
hopefully we'll have it. Hopefully we'll have it by the first of the year. I don't think, you know, any legitimate uh, medical scientist thinks we can have it before then. Hopefully they're wrong, and they've been wrong before. But uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks are the two that I listen to the most, and uh, hopefully they'll come up or, or somebody will come up with an answer because this is a really horrible situation. And the people I feel worse for, I have a wife, I have a partner. The, the 350,000 senior citizens in our city, in New York City, who are by themselves. Wow, that's, that, that, that's really hard. You know, I spoke to today, I don't know if you remember Manny Sokol. He was a referee in the NBA. I don't remember the name. He's 91 years old. He's one of the great guys. His mind is 100%. And he's in a nursing home uh, on Long Island. And he, uh, he, he, had, he, had, uh, he had a girlfriend for three years at the, in the nursing home. And, and she just passed away. So now he's by himself. But he gets phone calls from 10 or 15 people a day. And all I can do is, is tell people, you know somebody elderly or even younger who's by themselves, pick up the phone, even if you haven't talked to them in six months or a year, if they were your friends, they'll really love you. And you'll love yourself too for, for stepping up because that's, that's stepping up. Okay. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a it's a hor horrible thing we're going through, and I know you're working very hard. I I I, I know you're working very hard. Uh, you're doing sportscasts on WINS and WCBS on, on CBS Sports. Uh, you know, you're trying to keep yourself busy. Uh, I I perceive you as being an anchorman at WINS. You certainly have the ability to do it. You have the talent to do it. All you have to do is learn that board, but uh, there's got to be a way to figure it out because not God forbid, but you know there are going to be people calling in sick at Wins, and they put a great bunch of people that I worked with when I was there with you when we first met. Uh, but uh, they're going to have sick days, and they're going to need somebody to fill them for shifts. And you definitely, definitely will fill the bill and do it really more than adequately. You'll be a uh, You'll, you'll be a wonderful addition. Okay, stop. Can. You're making me. You're making me blush. And this isn't about me. This is about you. I, I want to hear, and people want to hear from you. Um, and you don't know this, but I have a list of questions that I have prepared. And uh, second on the list was how are you passing the time, which you have already covered, which is great. Um, how? Let me go back to the first question, which was to be: What are you missing the most? because of this stay-at-home order? I, I, what I'm missing the most is uh, interaction outside with friends. And, you know, I, the answer that most people would think would be the games. Now, you know, I really think they're secondary. If I were a sportscaster right now, sure I'd miss the games. What the heck are you talking about? So I... I you know, I talk about a lot of things that happened in the past. And, I, you know, I have, I, I have the, honestly a tremendous memory. I mean, I can tell you the starting lineup off the top of my head. I haven't written anything down. 
of the Philadelphia Phillies in 1950, who played the Yankees in the World Series. It was Eddie Wakeless at first, Stan Lopata at second, uh, no, Mike Goliath at second, Granny Hamner at short, Willie Puddenhead Jones was the third baseman, and two good catchers, Stan Lopata and Andy Semenik. In the left field was Del Lennis, in center field was Richie Ashburn, in right field was Dale Mitchell. Their, their two great pitchers were Robin Roberts and Kurt Simmons, who got COVID in the Army in August, so they're without him. But they had uh, a guy named Jim Constanti, who wound up being the, the most valuable player uh, in the National League. He won 17 games, pitched in 73 games at that time. It was a record. And uh, he was the MVP. And he only started one game. That was the first game of the World Series. And he lost it to the Yankees, one nothing. Dick Rashi pitched a two-hitter, okay? If you want the Cleveland Indians lineup at 54, I can give it to you also. <laughs> the City College starting lineup in 1950, NIT, and the uh, and the NCAA. Warner, Roman, Roth, Dan Broughton, Lane, okay? Those are the five stars. Right, we, have, we have limited time, sir. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My memory, my memory, my memory is fine. I, I forgot what I had for dinner last night, but well, see, my, that was going to be the, the the next question, but I didn't want to embarrass you. Um, speaking of the play-by-play, and and as I mentioned at the outset, um, if my information is correct, and and frankly, I think my information came from you. Uh, you've broadcast for every team in the New York metropolitan area professionally, with the exception of the Mets. Is this correct? Yeah, but there are there are a few you haven't you know mentioned, okay? And let me see if I can remember them. I I broadcasted for the World Team Tennis sets for the indoor soccer league Arrows and the uh, Arena Football League, uh, the team on Long Island, and also the New York City Hawks. Okay. Uh, I also I also did games for the World Football League. The uh, New York team, Bay Perilli, was the quarterback. And also, I actually did, uh, I, Sam DeLuca and I worked together. We were the voice of the, uh, the New Jersey Generals, you know, Donald Trump's team in the uh, ill-fated league that he tried to come up with. So uh, I, I'd say, you know, and there are a couple of others that uh, right now, I, like I'm saying, I'm doing all this off the top of my head. I'm just probably close to 20 teams. It's it's really. It, you know what it proves? I can't keep a job. <laughs> <laughs> and I did do the Boston Celtics for a couple of years. Also. That's right, yeah. Now, how did it all start? There there are people who, you know, they, they've seen your bio. They know the teams that you've worked for. They know how many games you've done. And, and I want to talk about Seavers 300, Phil Rizzuto Day, that whole thing when we get there because I think that was one of the coolest uh, – that had to be one of the coolest things you've ever done or anyone's ever done in terms of uh, the play-by-play and, and handing over the microphone in, you know, one of the biggest spots that you could ever have. You, you said, uh, Lindsay Nelson, you take it. I want to get to that in a little while. But how did this okay. all start for you? How did you get into broadcasting? Okay. Uh, I, I was a pretty good high school basketball player, okay? I was good enough to get a scholarship to Florida State University. I played for the Utrecht High School. I was not a great player. When I got to Tallahassee, <clears throat> I found out pretty quickly I really wasn't good enough. They were bigger. They were stronger. They were faster. 
They could shoot better than me. But we had a great coach whose name was Bud Kennedy, who took a liking to me. And Hugh Durham was the assistant coach at the time. Huey had been an, an All-American. Huey was a great player. Could have played in the NBA. And he had a great coaching career at FSU and also with Georgia. And they finished up at Jacksonville. Took Florida State to their only Final Four. And they lost to UCLA on by six points. Well, anyway, so I played for the freshman team. And I got some time. But I really knew I wasn't going to make the varsity my sophomore year because uh, we had we had six freshmen on my team who, who who were better than half the varsity. In fact, four of the guys I played freshman ball with started as sophomores for the Florida State University <coughs> basketball team. Uh, so I knew I wasn't going to play. But near the end of that first season, my freshman year, uh, Few of us were hanging out in the coach's office before practice. So Bud Kennedy's door was always open. He wanted to know about our studies, how we're doing in school. Very little talk about basketball. So myself and two of my teammates, uh, Rufus Ashworth was one of them. He was a pretty good player. Their names were unimportant. And uh, we we were sitting around talking with the coach, and the phone rang, and he got the, picked up the phone, and he hung up, and uh, he said, gee, that's interesting. That's one of our local, the local radio stations uh, wants to put our games on the radio next year. Uh, it was WTNT. Uh, WTNT was known as Dynamite and Dixie. <laughs> and, uh, cool. Uh, cool for a station played less than Atlanta music. Uh, <laughs> Dynamite and Dixie. But uh, so I said, gee, that's great, coach. I said, I can do that. He said, what? I said, I can do that. He said, have you ever done it? I said, no, coach, but I know I can do that. He says, you're serious, right? Well, of course I was serious. I grew up I grew up sitting in front of the television or uh, under the covers with Marty Glickman from the time I was 10 years old. That's how I know that City College team from 1950. And I, I used to sit by the TV and we got a TV when I was 12. And I, I, I would do play-by-play of games and bother my entire family because I would do it out loud. <laughs> I actually went to a Nick game one time with my father and I was, uh, I don't understand why people around me didn't start throwing things at me because I was doing play-by-play out loud. So I knew I could do it. He said, okay. He said, you're serious. I said, right. He said, I'll tell you what, practice tomorrow. Don't stress. Get a tape recorder. Go to the press box. We're going to scrimmage for about a half hour. Tape the scrimmage, and I'll get it to the radio station. We'll see what happens. So I did, and I gave it to the coach, and I heard nothing about it all summer. I came back to school in the fall, and the coach called me in, and the expression wasn't normal at that time. The good news, bad news. But he said, you know, I have bad news for you. I didn't think he used those words. You know, you're not going to make the traveling squad at 12. I said, well, I knew that, coach. He said, but the good news is the radio station liked your work, and they want to hire you. So here's the deal. They're willing to give you $10 a game, and I'm going to keep you on scholarship. So I would talk about, thought about calling my agent. No, I, I, <laughs> okay, coach, we, we got a deal. That's and a sweet deal, too. And uh, we had great baseball teams at FSU at the time. A guy named Danny Litwiler was our coach. Woody Woodward was on the team. We got to the College World Series that first year. And uh, so I wound up doing baseball. And that's how I got started in, in broadcasting after I got out of the Army uh, my first job was at a little radio station, a good radio station, on Long Island, WHLI in Hempstead. We had quite a crew there. We had myself, Alan Coulter, 
Remember the redheaded guy on the sure, Letterman? Letterman, show? yeah. Yes, Jerry Girard. Uh, so, so we, we were a good group. And we, uh, and this was 1965. In 1967, I heard about a new league getting started. It was the ABA, and I knew there was going to be a team in New York. And it was really coached by Max Zaslavsky, one of my heroes as a Knickerbocker when I was a kid growing up. Number 10, Max Zaslavsky. And so I called Max, who worked for the ABC Freight Bowling Company, which was owned by Arthur Brown, who was the owner of the team. And I asked him if I would come in and talk to him. So I did. And I, I kind of was pretty pesky. You know, I, I would come in like once a week and hang out and talk. And finally, Mr. Brown got Marty Glickman involved in this so uh and marty was gonna make the decision so like i said i met marty glickman when i was 10 years old listening to him he met me when i was 27 years old and we met and next thing i knew i became the, the voice the original voice of the nets the jersey american and i did that for three years and i was freelancing at wins at the time and also at WJRZ in Hackensack, and uh, boom, they offered me a staff job at WINS. I was, I was a street reporter and an anchorman, and I did sports on weekends, and I loved anchoring, and, they, they, and, and I guess I was pretty good at it. I did a lot of afternoon drive time stuff. Stan Bernard worked with me. Uh, I worked with such great people at WINS. What, what an amazing, an amazing group. So I became a staff announcer there, I became the original announcer, uh, TV announcer, one of them for the uh, for the Islanders, and uh, I had to give up the net job at that time. Today, I would have been able to keep the net job on radio because they let you miss games and do other things. Right. Uh, but I had to give it up, and there I was without a uh, uh, a team to do. But uh, I wound up going to work for the Islanders, and then HBO started. And Marty Glickman contacted me. He said, you haven't done hockey? I said, I can do it. And I became the voice of the New York Rangers. We did 40 home games. I most probably did 100, 150 events a year for, for HBO. In those early years, we did a lot of sports. We did World right. Team Tennis. We did WHA hockey. I did games for the New York Golden Blades of the WHA. Uh, I did a lot of college basketball around the country. A lot of... Uh, uh, the WFL, the World Football League, uh, and before I knew it, I was I was full-time sports guy, and I left Wins because they had moved my shift from morning drive till afternoon and evening, and I couldn't do that. I would have had to give up all my television. Right. And lo and behold, Dave Marish, who remains a friend of mine and one of the greatest people I've ever known, the smartest guy I've ever known in the business, Dave moved to Channel 2. So they needed somebody to take his place, and I wound up at News Radio 88. I spent 14 wonderful years there. And, uh, if you ask me to compare WINS and WCBS, I'll put them on a scale and it comes out even. I can't believe the amazing people I met at both of these organizations over a span of close to 20 years. The Wins people still blow me away. I mean, uh, when I think about Paul Smith and Stancy Burns and Paul Chairman and Freddie Hornby and Stan Bernard and all, all the way down the line and, and uh, Paul Smith, Sally Stockman, Paul Parker, 
one of the great street reporters of all time. And uh, they were great people and great times. Well, you mentioned 88, and I didn't want to turn this into a sob fest, but I immediately started welling up. No, because I have to ask you about him. You worked with him for years, and I, I want to know what I, – I, again, I don't want to be too maudlin here, but I, I really would I'm, – I'm, I'm curious to know, and, and I'm sure whoever might be listening would be curious to know, what are your lasting memories of Eddie Ingalls? Oh. Uh, let me put it this way, okay? I, 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 you know, I said Dave Maris was the smartest person I've ever known. It, it's hard for me to put it in simple terms, but let me put it this way. The most selfless, the most passionate, the most humane, incredibly talented, sense of humanity unequal to anyone never never ever would voice criticism toward another person in the business uh loving uh i i've never known i worked with him for 14 years we never ever had a bad moment together he had seniority over me at at at, uh, at CBS. Well, we got the contract for the Jets. Eddie could have possibly pulled rank. He didn't. I became the play-by-play man. We did a few games also. Uh, I remember there was a tremendous Rutgers-St. John's game, Madison Square Garden, where Rutgers was the talk of the country, and St. John's had a great team. Eddie could have pulled rank in me. No, I did the play-by-play on the game. Uh, what he... His work ethic, okay, unparalleled. He would do morning drive, <clears throat> and then he'd go do cover a hockey game at night. Yeah, uh, he pioneered the allowing of the broadcast media into team locker rooms. You know, there was a time when, when I started, uh, when Nick games were over, the working press, the newspaper guys, had access to the locker room. We were not allowed into those locker rooms for 15 minutes. Eddie stood up. In fact, he walked into the Chicago Blackhawk locker room one day, and Tommy Ivan, the coach, accosted him and and physically assaulted him and threw him out of the locker room. That turned it around. All of a sudden, we were allowed access. And the funny thing about it, when we'd have these conference news conferences after the game and all the reporters would gather around, Eddie, of course, was the, the closest one, and Eddie was always given the opportunity to ask the first question. When Joe Namath had his knee operation and was in St. Lennox Hospital, uh, he, of course, was willing to talk to the media, but he wanted only one guy to come up, and he was asked who who he would like to be the designated you know, reporter. He said Ed Engel. Okay, so it gives you an idea of the respect that that Eddie had uh, amongst the not only his peers but uh, the people involved in sports. He had such a work ethic. I'll give you an example. He, uh, his first wife Nancy, was was very sick. Okay, right. uh, 
she, they, they got married. They were very happily married. They went to a baseball game one day, and Nancy got hit in the head with a baseball, okay, a foul ball. Uh, from that point on in her life, she suffered seizures, and the seizures necessitated her. They called it epilepsy, but the oh, epilepsy is a very wide-ranging thing. Uh, they, so she was on medication. There were times when you talked to Nancy and you didn't think you were talking to somebody who wasn't on some kind of, uh, wasn't drinking too much or whatever, but she, she was, you know, a little cloudy. But when Nancy was sharp and she wasn't on medication, she was just an absolutely great person. And Eddie, and Eddie had wonderful in-laws, his mother and father-in-law. In fact, they were so close to Ed that after Nancy died and he met Margaret, who he married and stayed married for nearly 40 years, to the end of his life, uh, best man at his wedding, he selected his ex-father-in-law. That, that kind of says a lot about Ed. I'll give you an example. One afternoon, this is, this is a funny story. His mother-in-law, Nancy's mom, called the station one day. It was about 3.30 in the afternoon. Remember, Eddie was worked at you know, 4.30 in the morning. And she asked for me, and she says, I guess Ed's not there. She said, well, he left only 20 minutes ago. He said, 20 minutes ago? You mean he was still there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? I said, yeah. She said, you know, she said, that's a terrible thing he does. I said, what do you mean? He's got tremendous work ethic. No, no, it's bad. I said, why is it bad? It's bad for everybody else. Because if one <laughs> guy does that, the people you work for think everybody should do it. He right. said, it's a very good example. Everybody you know, else is a slacker. He's kidding, but she was right, you know, but that was – that was that was Ed Ingalls. He, I've never known anybody like him. And 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 what he did after leaving broadcasting, starting that uh, radio station at Hofstra, of which you, what you learned from him, what he taught young people, his patience with young people, his ability to to pass on what he knew and what he was able to do. I took part in some of those sessions during the summer. Marty Glickman took part in them also. Yeah. What do I think, Ed Ingalls? Uh, I think the world of him. You know, uh, in my mind, he's still he's still here, you know. And, and I know you feel the same. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that story. And, and I think this is one of the reasons, this is one of the reasons, sir, that they couldn't have a funeral for the man. Because not only, and I said this at his passing a few weeks ago, not only could they fill St. Patrick's Cathedral and Fifth Avenue and every other side street for about a mile radius. But if we were to have a memorial service, and, and I expect that we will at some point, um, it's going to take hours. They'll, ha they'll have to limit, it'll be like the debate stage. They'll have to limit the speakers to a time limit because it would take forever for well, everybody Margaret, to say Margaret, everything Margaret, they have to say about the guy. Margaret has asked me to speak. And, and and I will speak. And uh, he uh, and I, I remember your your comment about uh, how many people would come. Yeah, I, it, it it's a bit of an exaggeration, but not much. He, uh, no, I don't think it is though. That's the thing. I just I don't know, believe it's an exaggeration. Alive. and and you know, interestingly enough, uh, when they list the greatest sportscasters in this town, uh. uh Eddie, Eddie is a, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of a hidden gem. You know, he's in many ways a hidden gem amongst the people in the business. 
in the radio business, in the newspaper business, Ed Ingalls was a briny, a bright, shining light whose light was more vibrant than just about anybody who ever took part in this business. He could Incredible. do anything, and anything he did, he did well. And he didn't. It's funny, you know, you talk about that, that he gave you the Jets, but he was the one who wound up doing the Super Bowl for CBS Radio. And, and when I did an assignment with my sports broadcasting class, a class at St. John's that Ed used to teach, one of their assignments was to research play-by-play announcers on the Super Bowl. And in my own research, I hadn't realized that Ed had done a Super Bowl on the radio, did the play-by-play. And I was shocked. And, you know, he was as modest as he was. He never talked about it. And, no, he, uh, was, he didn't win Super Bowl, no. He, I'll tell you a cute story. Back after I left CBS, and I, I was doing Yankee games, doing other stuff, it was during the winter, and uh, <clears throat> every once in a while, Ed would call me and say, hey, how do you like to come in and do a few shifts? So I loved doing it. So it was a night, there was a guest, St. John's was playing at Madison Square Garden. And, you know, Eddie had two lovely children, Kevin and, and, and his daughter, Diana, who works for CBS right now and is doing very well for herself. And Kevin had a wonderful career at, at ESPN, and unfortunately, his life was shortened. Uh, but uh, anyway, so I'm doing the shows. Uh, Saint, there was a St. John's game, and I'm doing my reports from the what they know as the hockey press box, which is at the end of the arena and everything. And I'm getting updates on scores from the station, from the from a producer who's updating the scores. And, and, of course, I'm also updating the St. John's game. It was a very big game. So the game ends. And remember, Eddie's on vacation, all right? Eddie's on vacation. Diana and Kevin were at the game, all right? Diana was about 13 years old at the time. So after the game and uh, after I got done with my last show, the engineer was packing up everything. And Eddie, myself, Diana, and Kevin – we're getting ready to leave, and before we work down the, the vomitory to leave, Eddie said, you know, I want to go down to the locker room and say hello to Louie, the coach, the coach. So we waited, okay? I waited with the kids. And Eddie went down to the locker room, and uh, he came back about 20 minutes later. And we're standing there fidgeting our thumbs. He went to say hello, right? Eddie, <laughs> just, couldn't just, Eddie just couldn't say hello. Anyway, right. he Diana back. could have graduated high school in the time that he was down there. Well, well, let me tell you Diana's reaction. When he came up those stairs, up to where we were standing on the landing, this 13-year-old girl did this adult female gesture of where she slouched her body and put her hand on her hip and looked at her father and said, Dad, you really have to get a life. (laughs) (laughs) I broke up. That really have to get a life. Oh, oh goodness geez. gracious! He was, he was, he was, he was a blessing. Yeah. All right, yeah. I want, I want to take this in a little bit of a different direction. Um, again, all of the thousands—it has to be thousands and thousands of games that you called. Um, favorite partner to work with was it Sam Deluca or was it somebody? I don't want, want to put you on the spot, but I know you, you and Sam had a, a long time together doing the Jets games. Is he the guy? Go ahead. Your favorite partner to work with? Well, let me put it this way. Favorites of the guy really who 
was the most knowledgeable about his sport of anybody I worked with. Some people may remember for eight or nine years, I did a show every Saturday night from Yonkers or Roosevelt Raceway. Right. Nobody knew more about his sport than Bergen. Stan Burke. Okay. And what a wonderful guy. We, we remained friends right till the day he passed away. And he worked right up until the day he passed away. He lived in Tucson the last years of his life. He still wrote a column for the Morning Telegraph. He was still the executive director of the Harness Tracks of America. He was, was a marvelous horse auctioneer. You know, he could run a hand. He was fantastic. Anything that he touched, he was straight at. Sam was incredible. If I start listing the people that I worked with who were my color men, you know, I did a couple of games with John Wooden. No for HBO. Yeah, and Joe Namath was my color man on Jets uh, preseason games on television for huh. several years. I also worked with Marty Lyons. I worked with, with Bob Cousy. I, wor I worked or Mickey Mantle worked with me on Yankee games. On I don't remember. Mel Allen also worked with me on those games. Uh, I mean, I can just, there's such a list of wonderful people. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of my favorite Sam DeLuca stories. Uh, this took place in Buffalo. Chuck Knox was the coach, okay? And I noticed every game we'd play up in Buffalo, there were about seven or eight guys who, who would, would come to the game dressed in tuxedos. Okay? Young men dressed in tuxedos. I didn't know what the heck that was all about. So we're doing a game, uh, Sam and I, and uh, it, yeah, second and seven, Jets from their own uh, 37, and Todd hands it off to Hopper. He hits the right side of the line. He's taken down after a three-yard gain. It'll be third and four coming up from the New York Jets. Instead of Sam commenting on the play, he looks at me and says, by the way, Spence, he said, have you seen Knox's nuts today? <laughs> and I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. I had, I had an amazing I, uh, I thought Sam had lost his mind. And he realized. He said, oh, folks, let me just tell you, there's a group of like seven or eight guys who come to the game, every Bills game, dressed in a tuxedo. They call themselves Knox's nuts. Oh, my I, goodness. Thank you. Thank you for the explanation, Sam. <laughs> you know. But Sam was, you know, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you about Jet Broadcast. You know, people ask me uh, the the best, most exciting. I, I, you know, most people remember the uh, the Todd to Jerome Barkin pass uh, for the touchdown that beat Miami at uh, Chase Stadium, sixteen to fifteen. There's one that really sticks in my mind, and it's it's a two part story. When the Jets beat the Los Angeles Raiders 17-14 to 14 to get to the AFC Championship game. The game was played at the L.A. Coliseum. And the winning score was set up by a long, beautiful pass from Richard Todd to Wesley Walker, who caught the ball at the one-yard line and was taken down. And I think it was Scott Dirking who took it in for the touchdown. But my comment, after that Todd pass to Wesley Walker, after I said it, I said to myself, my Lord, I, 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 just, I, just, I just wrote poetry. What I said was, and Walker's down at the one. And basically, here's what I said. Richard Todd put the ball up on a rainbow arc, and Wesley Walker was the pot of gold. 
And Sam looked at me, and I looked at him, and I, I, I just loved that line. Richard Todd put the ball up in a rainbow arc, and Wesley Walker was the pot of gold. About 15 years later, HBO, I don't know if you remember, they would do these computerized versions of uh, of NFL Super Bowl games. Okay. You know, where they had two teams, and they, they would fake it and everything. So I got a call to do the voiceover on it. So I drilled down at Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and the Giants were playing in that Super Bowl. I forget who they were playing. And so I was welcomed nicely there. They had lunch for me. They gave me something to drink. They gave me the script, and they said, you know, we're ready. You know, read through the script, and when you're ready, we'll go. So I'm reading through the script, and in the script, there's a line of a pass that Phil Sims threw. And my comment was, in this script that was on HBO, Richard Todd put the ball up on a rainbow arc, and <laughs> Phil McConkey was the pot of gold. I looked at that. I said, oh, my God, where did this guy come up with it? And so I called somebody up. I said, who wrote the script? He said, such and such. I said, can you ask him to come in? I want to talk to him. He came out. He had the sheepish grin on his face. I said, where did you get that? He said, I was 12 years old. And he said, I got chills. That's when you funny. said, when I heard you were coming in to do this, I had to figure out a way to get that line in. That's great. I said, you know, you just gave me one of the greatest compliments I've ever received in my life. So, yeah, I had fun with the Jets. And I'm I'm still very close. I spoke to Bruce Harper a couple of days ago. I checked in with Bobby Jackson, who's from Albany, Georgia, who, uh, you know, they've got a, had a tremendous outbreak in Albany, Georgia, yeah. coronavirus, which, which happened uh, about three weeks ago after a couple of funerals at the Martin Luther King Funeral Home. Right. And, you know, there were hundreds of people there and a lot of people, they, they, they've lost, they've lost 13 people in that town. It's, and it's not that, not that big a city, Albany. And I keep in touch with Wesley Walker. Those are those are those are my three buddies. And and Bruce's kids, Kaylee and Carl and his daughters, uh, I, they very proudly call me Uncle Spencer. And that's uh, that that that's great. I'm in touch. I'm in touch with that that family. Uh, they were one, wonderful people. It's it it really is incredible that you're able to keep in contact with with all these people over all the years. Um, I want to ask about your favorite or your best play-by-play memory, but I think maybe you've covered that. And and I want to circle back. I had mentioned it at the outset, the uh, Tom Seaver 300th win against the Yankees, Bill Rizzuto Day, August of 85. And you were doing the play-by-play that day. It was your ninth inning, if you wanted it. And you passed the torch. You handed it over. Yeah, we worked, we had a rotation, okay? Uh, uh, you know, each of us, Phil Rizzuto, Phil White, and myself, each did six innings, three innings play-by-play, three innings uh, analyst, color, why I was doing an analysis for, for Phil Rizzuto and, uh, and Bill White in the booth, although Rizzuto was great about it, you know. Rizzuto always feigned ignorance, you know. He made me look smart all the time. He was so <laughs> smart, man. And Bill White, that's another story. He was talking about a smart guy and a wonderful guy. But it was my turn. I was doing play-by-play the last three innings. And WPIX had asked the great legendary Lindsey Nelson to come and join us in the booth to provide commentary. So I'm doing my last three innings, and it comes to the bottom of the ninth, and the Yankees, the White Sox are winning 5-3. to three, And I took this on my own. I didn't check with our producer, Don Carney, who asked me afterward, why didn't you check with me? And I said, because you might have told me 
but I had to do this. I, when I got the mic back after the commercial, I said something like, we go to the bottom of the ninth, and Tom Seaver is three outs away from baseball immortality. And I really think there's only one man who should call these final three outs. And he's sitting right next to me right now. Lindsey Nelson, take over. And he, like, kind of looked at me like, did you really just say that to me? I said, thank you, Lindsey, go. And Lindsey did the last three outs. And uh, uh, I I was proud to do it. Yeah, I, I, I would have loved to call those last three outs. And I met Lindsey several years later when I was doing college football in Knoxville, Tennessee. He had definitely retired. He moved to Knoxville. And he was up in the press box. And I was doing a Tennessee game. And he came over to me. He said, you're Spencer Ross, right? I said, yeah. He said, I just wanted to, I know I thank you after that day. He said, but I just wanted to repeat this to you. What you did that day perhaps was the nicest thing anybody has ever done for me in my entire broadcasting career. Completely selfless. I said, Lindsay, if I had to do it over again, I would do it the same way. The, the, the kicker of the story is, though, later in the season, we're in Toronto, and uh, I got to do the last three innings of play-by-play of Phil Necro's 300 game. So, nice. uh, what comes around, goes around. It goes around, comes around, however that thing goes. Uh, I hate cliches, but they're so much a part of my life. And I think uh, cliches actually, I have no problem with cliches. They work when they make sense. Sure. I mean, certainly things are stupid okay but uh <laughs> uh you know but uh and you know the ones you know the ones i'm talking about because you know everybody's mistakes by the way for you folks who don't know mark Ernie, you make one little blooper boom you're going to hear about it from mark Ernie. It no 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 it's not that bad. a home it's run you went four for five if you struck out you last them back boom why'd you strike out you had a we got a had a good pitch to hit no, I'm see, exactly. you're wrong. That's yeah, you're very much exaggerating. Thank you, but I, I yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm glad you're paying attention, though. That's that's an that? that it's it's an honor that you pay attention so closely. <laughs> hey, I love you, man. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, last thing, and uh, this is what I've been um, we've been wrapping up with the same thing again. And we're calling this podcast "Play by Play" with me. Um, obviously, the me is me. Um, and the play-by-play is, is you, by the, 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 the way, play-by-play announcer. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I've caught you play-by-play on St. Francis basketball. I gave you a couple of pointers. No, you have you to stop a- buttering me up. Nobody wants to hear you buttering me up. You're very good. But go ahead. Keep talking. <laughs> well, no, you're good. You really are. That's yeah. another five bucks I owe you. Go ahead. If you're going to keep complimenting me, I'm going to go broke. Goodness gracious. Okay. It... <laughs> So play-by-play with me. I'm talking to play-by-play announcers, and we'll have other people on throughout the course of events, hopefully. By the way, I came up with a, with a great little slogan for this thing. I have a logo. Hopefully you'll see it on iTunes and Spotify. But the little tagline I came up with, because I needed a tagline in case I make a T-shirt, I call it play-by-play with me, talking to the voices in my head, phones. How do you like that? How about another one? How about on the mark? Well, no, that's that's old. Uh, we don't. We'll 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 get back to that at some point. Oh, okay. But, but right. I I I got a kick out of this. Is how I humor myself in in times of you know being basically locked up in my house. Play by play with me talking to the voices in my headphones. 
it, you'll see the logo. It looks really good. Anyway, you mentioned at the beginning that you and Pat are passing the time with some board games. And no joke, it's on my little template of questions. I feel like James Lipton. Um, but it's on my little template uh, of questions. What's your favorite board game? Hmm. My favorite board game. Or if not uh, favorite, what's the one you're going to be playing with Pat tonight? I like Scrabble. Uh, I like Risk. My wife doesn't play Risk. Uh, I like Boggle. There, there, there are quite a few. Uh, off the top of my head, I, I really can't think. Uh, uh, there's one game where you, one game where you, uh, you make up. You're given a word, and you've got to create the, the uh, a definition of the word. Okay? Categories. Is that categories? Yes, categories. Category. We love. We love. We love that game. Okay. And uh, we have one friend who kicks the crap out of us every time in that game. It's unbelievable. He's so what are you, what are you playing tonight? Is what, what? What are you going to play tonight? Uh, we might play Scattergory. We might okay. play Scattergory. Okay. You know, uh, it, it, it passed, you know, it, it, I can honestly tell you this, this, this hibernation, this quarantine that we're under as has really brought us closer in many ways. You know, when you're with somebody 24-7, and we really are 24-7. I mean, she, my wife was a writer, and she still does some writing, and she's editing a book for a friend right now. So she spends a lot of time doing that. Uh, I'm going to get back, now that I've got my new computer, to completing my book. A lot of the things I mentioned to you right now, uh, are, are in my book. I'll tell, I'll tell you a quick story, okay? Because I got so many stories about so many different people. And you see you see Andrew Cuomo all the time. I, I got pretty friendly. I'd say friendly, yeah, with Mario Cuomo, the governor. Uh, he used to do a weekly show at CBS. Art Athens did it with him. And right. he was a great sports fan. Plus, he was at every Jet game. And I had lunch with him many times uh, at uh, at Jet games, before the games in the whatever that dining room was at Shea Stadium. But, you know, he was a very good baseball player, Mario Cuomo. Right. Uh, good enough, good enough to get a larger bonus than Mickey Mantle, okay? Uh, maybe $500 more. So the question that everybody already asked Mario Cuomo is, if you were so good, how come you didn't play for St. John's? And he told me the story. This was his words, okay? He said, I played for the freshman team. I was an outfielder, and I was really good. Lou Carnesecco was his coach for the freshman team. Louis said he had major league potential. He was a great fielder. He had a great arm. He had great speed. He could hit. He was a line drive hitter. Wouldn't have been a power hitter. Maybe 10, 15 home runs a season. He could do everything. And he wound up signing a contract with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he played one year, was hitting 350 into June, banged into a wall, had a concussion, was out a month and a half. At the end of the season, he said, you know, maybe this isn't for me. And he uh, enrolled at uh, St. John's Law School, thankfully, and he became a really very respected governor. I, I, I love Mario Coleman. But why didn't he play for St. John's? So as a sophomore, he goes out to practice the first day. And at that time, coaches didn't make much money. And the legendary basketball coach of St. John's, was also the baseball coach, Frank McGuire. And first day of practice, 
Maguire looks around and realizes two of his catchers <clears throat> aren't there. They're out sick or whatever. They didn't make it to practice. So he says, look, any of you guys ever catch in Sandlot Bowl? And uh, so Mario said, I raised my hand. I said, yeah, I have coach. I can do that. So I said, okay, put the, put the pads on, put the mask on, blah, 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 blah. And so he said, I got behind the plate. And I said, I guess I did a pretty good job because I came back to practice the next day. And uh, <laughs> I'm not going to use the, the profane word. but that he used. <laughs> Thank you. He came back to practice the next day. He said, I got my fielders with me. And uh, McGuire said, now put that down, kid. He said, what do you mean? He said, get the catcher's mitten, you know, put, put, the, put the mask on and everything, get ready. He said, no, no. He said, coach, no, I don't think you understand. He said, what don't I understand? You know, Frank McGuire was just this wonderful guy, lovable guy. Everybody, great rock and tour, wonderful storyteller, and a great coach. He coached Wolf that year when he scored 50 points a game at, with, with the, for the San Francisco Warriors. But he said, uh, and of course, he was the guy who made North Carolina a national powerhouse for the, what they called this Underground Railroad from New York. So McGuire said, but he said, Coach, I, I'm, I, I'm an outfielder. I, I'm not a catcher. And I really have aspirations of being a professional baseball player. And it's not going to be as a catcher. It's going to be as an outfielder. And McGuire looked at him and said, Kid, <clears throat> you want to play for St. John's University, you will put that catcher's mask on and put that catcher's mitt on. Otherwise, two things. You're off the team, and I'll have your scholarship revoked. Ooh. And Mario Cuomo, these were his words, exactly. He said, Coach, first of all, I'm on an academic scholarship. And second of all, you can take this catcher's mitt and shove it up your effing wow. backside. Wow. And, and he didn't say effing backside. He right. said the, mm-hmm. the uh, and he said, I threw the mid at him and I walked off. I said, wait a second, Mario, Mayor, Governor. I said, you really said that to Frank McGuire? He said, I walked off that field and that's what I said to myself. I really said that to Frank McGuire? I can't. I said, how was your relationship with him later? He said, we laughed about it. You know, it was, uh, uh, but that was uh, that was a, a Mario Como story. That's one of the stories of my book. I don't want to give away too many of them, but uh, uh, I, I love that story. Mario Como was a, a, a very special human being. And by, by the way, I'm not getting into politics, but I think what his son Chris Como has done, going on the air these few times. I don't know if he's going to work tonight, but I think that this, it, it's really a tribute to tenacity, intensity, and sets an example for people that this thing is killing people, but I'm fighting through it. And you got to fight too. Everybody has to fight. We all have to fight. And it has nothing to do with my political leanings at all. But I, I really, and, and I love his little, his little uh, set twos he has with his brother. Like, <laughs> Very entertaining, isn't it? What? It's very entertaining. Uh, it, uh, that was like a comedy show that day, you know. Yeah, uh, like uh, Evan Costello going. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna hit you because you're down. He said, "Oh, you better hit me now because when I'm up, I'm gonna kick the crap out of you." Right. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, anyway, I really, I really want to wish you the best of luck. Uh, stay healthy. Wait, we're not finished yet. 
Oh, oh no. Okay, We're not good. finished I'm, yet. I have like one I, final question for you. Like I told you before, like I told you before, I'm not going anywhere. Right. Okay? Well, actually, now I have two questions. Do you have a working title for the book? Uh, no, uh, I don't. Uh, okay. I, I sort of, uh, uh, you know, Myron Cohn used to say something like, that reminds me of a story, you know. And there are so many of these things that remind me of stories. And okay. You mentioned the name to me. I'll give you five stories about whoever it is you mentioned. You know, okay. I mean, there are hundreds of them. And well, we'll work on it. I'll, I'll try and well, help. I'll try and help. If you don't mind. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to insinuate myself into your book, but if, if you want some help with a title, I, I'd be happy to help. You got a title? I, I can come up with some. Sure. Hey, listen. Uh, I want to tell you something. I worked with you for about a year and a half. Uh, I really it was respect the your work. Year and a half of your career, too. Well, it was two years. Okay, I whatever it you. was, it was the best time of your entire career. No, no, I, I no, want to I tell you something. I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't. This weekend, <laughs> you know, I was working Saturday and Sunday morning, getting up three thirty in the morning. When I was thirty-two years old, that was okay. Do you know what that did to me? I mean. Uh, I would come home after work Saturday. I would immediately fall asleep. I was exhausted. I would come off to work Sunday exhausted. I wasn't ready to live until Tuesday. And after I left, I remember that first Friday night that I was at home, I was sitting on the couch and reading a book, and I fell asleep and woke up at 1.30 in the morning, and I got up and I said, gee, I can go to bed now. I don't have to worry about getting up. Best the happy it was it was it was fun it really was fun doing it again because uh, it 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 had me doing something that was so much a part of my life and the people i worked with there were were just they were really wonderful i mean it's uh, i mean then mubarak the uh, news director ivan lee the assistant news director the editors the the, the staff that was around me uh the, the newscasters uh they're wonderful people, and WINS is, has just a, a tremendous place, a tremendous place in my heart. All right, well, lest anybody be confused, I had nothing to do with your schedule or your departure, right? We can, we can clear that up for everybody in case they're wondering. You have nothing to do with what? I had nothing to do with your schedule or your yeah. departure from that shift. No, no, right. no, okay. no. I, right. I, I left that. I left that ship. Was the best thing I ever did. Right, the best thing I ever did. Right. Well, yeah. honestly, you know, it it was, and I joke that it was the best couple of years of your career. But it, it it enabled me to get close to you, because without that, you know, you you had always been this voice, this figure that I watched and listened to again, broadcasting these countless events over the years. And, and you're one of the reasons that I'm in this business, for better or worse. I don't know if you want to take credit or blame. Um, but but you're, you're on that list of, of people that I admired growing up and, and, and are the reason, one of the reasons at least, that I do what I do and, and why I strive to do it as well as I possibly can. And again, I'm I'm not trying to butter you up any more than you were trying to butter me up. But but I do want to ask one last thing: when we get the all clear, and we're no longer quarantined in our respective dwellings, 
aside from you and I getting together at PJ Clark's for some lunch, what's at the top of your to-do list? Top of the to-do to do list? You mean? Yeah. Uh, well, going back to work full-time is completely out of the question. And a lot of it has to do with my birth certificate. As you can tell, my mind is as clear. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story, okay? It's must have been about five years ago. Uh, Dick Vitale and I have been very close for many years. We did the 1992 Olympics, the Dream Team, in Barcelona. And we developed a really close friendship. We had known each other before. When I go down to Florida, Sarasota, I always I spend a day at his house. We go out to dinner. He and his wife, Lorraine, we're friends, okay? So about five, six years ago, Dick said to me, he said, why aren't you working? I said, and I think there's a problem. Said, What's the problem? Said, you know, I think it's my birth certificate. Uh, he said, oh, come on, that's garbage. You're, you're better than so many of the guys we have. He said, I'm going to call a guy over there and uh, uh, give me a couple, give it a couple of days and give him a call next week. So I did. I called the guy the following week. And he was happy to hear from me. He said he expected the call. Dick had told me I was going to call. And he said, first, let me just tell you. He said, as far as I'm concerned, you're most probably as good as or better than 50, 60% of the people we have doing play-by-play -play in the game. You're the equal of another 15 or 20%. And I put maybe 10%, but it's all subjective. 10, 15, 20% who I would think are better than you, okay? He said, but here's the bottom line. Your birth certificate, okay? I said, hold on a second. You just told me I'm too old. He said, yeah, that's exactly what I told you. He said, and you know something? If you sued me or sued ESPN, he said, I'd go into a court of law and I'd perjure myself. He said, but that's the way it is here. We're not hiring people in their 70s. As good as they are, we're not. They, they, he said, if I had the decision to make, I'd hire you in a heartbeat. He said, but they, they're not doing it, and they won't do it. So, uh, so, and and anyway, I I would not want to go back to a full time gig of traveling, you know, forty games on the road, forty games at home, doing an odd game here or there. I mean, if you put me in a broadcast booth tomorrow, it's it's like riding a bike. Okay, uh, I do my homework before the game, like I always did, and I was really a stickler as far as that was concerned, and. Uh, I'd be prepared, and, uh, you know, the only time I was never prepared for a game, okay, was when we were doing the uh, World Football League uh, for HBO, and I had a game in Philadelphia, uh, the Philadelphia Bell, <clears throat> and it was the time my twin boys were born. They were preemies, and they were fortunately born at Hackensack Hospital which in 1974 was really was probably the first good neonatology unit in America, or perhaps not the world, should be the world, okay? Right. And uh, my, my son Jonathan was a pound 14 ounces. His brother David was two pounds 15. They were three months premature. They both survived, okay? They were in a hospital for more than 60 days. The doctor who took care of them was a wonderful man named Joseph Bordick, 
And when he came and saw the kid that night when the kids were born, he rushed in to the hospital wearing a tuxedo. He was at a dinner, and he rushed into the hospital to to to, to deliver my kids and, and and see what he could do. But uh, he gave he gave David who was pound two pounds, you know, a little over two pounds. He he gave him like a 50-50 shot. He said, but you have to forget about your son, Jonathan. Well, they both made it, okay? But they were in the hospital for like 60, 65 days. So I had to go do a game in Philadelphia. And it's the only time in my life I have not been prepared. And when you're prepared to do a sporting event, a game, whether it's hockey, people want to get started. No, you just have to do more rote memorization. And it's really easy. You know who number 23 is when he comes into the game for the first time with four minutes to go in the third period. You don't have to look down at anything. With football, you really have to do a lot of rote memorization. Because if you're doing one team like the Jets, you've got it all memorized, okay? And you know the rest of the league. But you've got to, got to, do, you've got to do a lot of homework. I did that game in Philadelphia that night. It was the worst three hours I've ever spent on the year. The next day, Marty Glickman called me at home. He said, what happened here last night? I said, what do you mean? He said, you were terrible. I said, yeah, you're right, I was. So he said, what happened? I said, I, I just didn't have time, and my mind wasn't on preparing. He said, you know what you should have done? I said, what? He said, you should have called me and told me, and we would have found somebody at the last minute to take your place. You shouldn't have done the broadcast. I said, okay, thank you. You know, about 25, 30 years later, Marty said to me, he said, you know, remember that time I yelled at you when you when you screwed up on that game in Philadelphia in the Royal Football League? I said, yeah. He said, you never did it again. I said, no, I did. He said, you know, I did it once too. <laughs> but only once. But only once. Boy, do I miss that guy, man. Oh, do I miss that man. Uh, he was my severest critic. He was my most ardent supporter and a really, really dear friend. And I learned so much from him about humanity, about people. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I miss the Glick. Uh, Marty Glickman. Wow. God rest his soul. And his wife, Marty. Wow. Okay. Uh, and stay healthy. Well, you, know, you got more questions? I'm ready. No, I want, well, I want a happy thought. When you get the all clear, I want to get back to the actual question. What is the yeah. first thing you're going to do when you're allowed to go out and start doing things again? Well, you know what I'll do? Uh, you mean, what will I do? Uh, I'll most probably take my wife to dinner. Okay. That's for sure. Uh, uh, we'll start doing things outside. Uh, I will go and smoke a cigar again. I do that once or twice a week. I haven't smoked a cigarette in more than 30, 32 years right now. I stopped smoking. Uh, the interesting thing was 1989, actually, so it's, it's 31 years. Uh, my first wife passed away then, and, and uh, my kids told me I got to stop smoking. I did. I stopped smoking, and I jokingly said, as I started trying to get myself back in the shape, I jokingly said, you know, I'm going to run a marathon. Well, my wife died in 1989. In 1991, I ran my first New York City marathon, completed it. I wound up running six of them. If I had not stopped smoking, and I had not stopped running, started running, started getting my body in the shape, there's no way we'd be having this conversation today. You would have been at my funeral 
No, you wouldn't have been at my funeral because I think I would have been dead a long time before I went back to work at WINS. Every day is a blessing. Tomorrow is a prayer. And, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go and instead of calling friends, uh, as I do, or receiving calls from them, we'll get together again. We'll, we'll, uh, as far as work's concerned, if something comes along, hey, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to do a game here or there. It'll be fun. It'll be fun for me. And uh, it'll bring back some really tremendous memories of what I've devoted, you know, all these years to. Remember, I, I, I spent between 40 and 50 years getting paid for going to Bulgaria. That's pretty cool. It's not bad, is it? Not bad. Are you kidding me? <laughs> my hands, my hands are they're pretty smooth still. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, I do put some uh, lotion on it after I uh, uh, use the. Uh, you use too much of that. that the sanitizer, right? Well, because it's mostly alcohol and it dries out. Can I can I get can I give you give give your audience a couple of tips about go the ahead. hand sanitizer? Absolutely, go right ahead. You run out of Purell. Here's what you do: you go, you get yourself a bottle of pure alcohol, at least seventy percent, and then you get yourself a bottle of pure aloe. I'm not talking about the stuff you put on after you get a sunburn. The pure liquid aloe. Right. You mix eighty percent alcohol with twenty percent aloe, which doesn't do anything to kill germs, but it uh, it makes your hands not as dry. And you put that in a little spray bottle, spray it on. You've got Purell. You've got whatever on hand. That's a hand sanitizer. That's exactly what Purell is. We've got Dr. Fauci. We've got Dr. Burks. And now we've got Dr. Spencer Ross. You know, I've told you Dr. this before. I've told you this before, and I will tell you again, and I'll tell you in person hopefully sooner than later. You are the best. I love you. And I'm so glad we had a chance to do this today. It's been almost two hours that we've been together now on the phone and on. No, serious. It's almost five o'clock, but it took us almost an hour to figure out how to get on. Well, no, it was about a half hour. And, and it was funny. You kept saying to me, give me a second. I finally had a story. Will you stop telling me? Give me a second. I ain't going anywhere. And I'm still here. And God bless you. I love you too, Mark. And and good luck to you. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, uh, this will pass. The question is, when will it pass? Well, hopefully uh, I, soon. I'm not, I'm not a pessimist, but I, I, I do not believe we'll have a baseball season this year. I really don't. Uh, or And I, I think anybody, anybody, well, we're still having this coronavirus who, if they do decide to have baseball, who brings their child to a baseball game, uh, she'd be arrested for, uh, you know, abusing, uh, you know, of, for spousal, uh, not spousal, of child abuse, uh, putting, putting a child at risk at, 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 a, at a sporting event. You want to do it yourself, go do it. But, uh, no, I, don't don't put your kids on on Jeopardy, you know, because you want them to see uh, Aaron Judge, or you want them to see Pete Alonso, uh, and uh, or or the Giants or the Jets. I, I, I 
I say baseball might be doomed. I'd say football is still 50-50, depending on when we come up with the answer to this to this, this horror that we're going through right now. But uh, I wanted to leave on a happy note. Now you dragged us down again. What's that? I wanted to stop on a happy note, and now you dragged it down again. Well, you know, the hockey thing, somebody was saying, oh, these guys can be, these guys can be, you know, they're in such, such great shape, and they're keeping themselves in shape. If you want, if hockey does start again, you need at least a month training camp. I don't care how much they're lifting at home or whatever. They got to put the skates on. They got to put the skates on. And it'll take them a month of handling the puck and skating to get back to what they were. Uh, you know, it's not like a lot of other sports, you know. Uh, you know, uh, you can't, you can't just, you can't just start hockey up. It's, I mean, it, the, the 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 physical the physical needs of that sport uh, are are so incredible and the uh, the intensity you know you're out there for ninety seconds on a shift and and you're you're exhausted and, and you know Peter McNabb told me once uh, uh, one of the great secrets of Wayne Gretzky was that most people who play hockey it would take them three minutes to get their heartbeat back to normal. Wayne Gretzky, less than 90 seconds, sometimes as little as a minute, his heartbeat was back to normal, which enabled him to, to give more quality ice time out there than, than most human beings. And I think they call him the great one, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he was. Well, in what he did, and you're a great one in what you've done. And, again, I appreciate all of your time today. This has really been a blast catching up. And I'm sorry we couldn't do it in person, but hopefully soon we will. We shall, okay? Uh, all right, folks. You done? Are we done? Have you said enough? You want more? Sure, sure. You want to say goodbye? Bye, everybody. <laughs> stay. stay healthy. Wash them hands, okay? Put the hand sanitizer on. Disinfect everything when you get it home from the grocery and be well and love to all of you. Thanks, Mark. I'm Mark, and he is the immortal Spencer Ross. And Spence, thanks for stopping to play by play with me.